Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, guys, my name is Miles Whitboyer. And uh, y'all, this is the Photographic Collective Podcast. Um, I'm really excited that you stumbled in here today. And my assumption is that we're probably going to have a lot of people that haven't listened to this podcast before jump in to listen to this episode simply because of the name of our guest today. <laughs> um, he, he laughs as though that's not that's totally warranted. Nice of you to say. Um, but uh, y'all, before before I announce, before I like formally say who who said... Uh, person is. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say something really quick. The purpose of this podcast, and, I, and we say this at every episode, but I want I want to lay this out. I think it's important to to paint this as a trajectory. The the purpose of the podcast is really three things. So first, we want to we want to just help you up level your art. We want to kind of bring you to terms with who you are as an artist and what the value of that is. And then two, we want to take that into your client experience, take that out. So instead of keeping it to yourself, we want to push that into the people that you're creating work for and that you're serving. And then three, uh, we want to invite you to be a part of a community of artists and, uh, and people who are learning to just do life together on a, a really cool realm and a, a really positive space. And that brings us really, really easily, really smoothly uh, into the guest today. So we've got Pai Jersa with us today. Um, if, if you don't know Pi, you're obviously living under a rock. Pi is, <laughs> Pi's a legend. Uh, he's, he's also a buddy of mine and, and, uh, and just the founder of everything cool in photography. I think Pi, correct me if I'm wrong. You invented the camera. Who's that? Yes. Yes, okay. I did miles. Thank you. Okay. okay. Well, yes. So Pi, Pi started <laughs> photography. You're very kind miles. Thank uh, you. Dude. I, but no, well, I did not invent the camera. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I was... Uh, false news there, but, but dude. Okay. So let me back up just a little bit because I, I want to give everybody a chance to like, for people that don't know who you are or, you know, haven't had this experience with you, I'd love for them to hear from you. Like, how do you, how do you see yourself? So what's your kind of backstory, your origin story a little bit? How I see myself, I would say, uh, mostly, I mean, I would simplify just to, I'm an educator, but kind of even more so I'm a frameworks person. I just like, I like taking things that, you know, are complex and making them simple and, and easy to learn first for myself. And then, you know, the kind of byproduct is for other people. Dude, that's beautifully put. I, I, I will say this, and I mean, I'm assuming people that, that listen to this episode may have heard this before, but I was on your podcast uh, months ago. Mm-hmm. And I had this really- Yeah, last year. Yeah, I I had this really powerful opportunity to sit on the other side. And I've been on a number of podcasts. I know you have as well. But I had this really powerful opportunity to sit on the other side of the mic from somebody who is a brilliant listener. Well, thanks, Miles. <laughs> well, you you are. And 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 I want to I want to leverage I want to hinge on that because you've got this really neat story that I want to get to about, you know, you starting your company having no experience in wedding photography, right? Mm-hmm. But what I think is pivotal, I think what's in, what's important for us to start with maybe is just this idea of the fact that you like you absorb information around you really well, and then you educate yourself before you educate others. I, I like to learn for sure, and I, I do like to listen. Um, I don't know. I find that when people have interesting things to say, I, I'd rather just kind of tune in and and listen versus chime in. Okay, so 
so that's why I'm going to put you on the spot right here because you you are. I, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who was asking about this interview, and and I compared you to the Dosakis man. I was like, Pydrus is like the he's the most interesting man in. But you you really are. I mean, I don't. I I know very few people that are as connected as you are. But and I mean this as a compliment. The the vast majority of photographers that I know that know you lead off with any number of explanations about experiences and stories with you that have nothing to do with your photography. That's funny, dude. I, I have no idea what those stories are, <laughs> it, <laughs> but I'd be, I'm curious now. It's just things about, about your visions for, for, uh, for everything from, you know, this new venture that you've, that you've taken on with, with the doctor that I want to hear all about. And, but, um, you know, your vision for SLR Lounge, your, just the way that you've brought people together. Um, you've created community uh, long before that was a popular thing to do, um, and I think I think it's really it's really interesting. So so back us up. I, I hinted at this early on, but I but I I want to hear the story really quickly because I've heard it on one other podcast and it blew my mind. How did you get into photography? So I'll, I'll give you the short of each of these, and then you tell me what things you want to go into further. But uh, Justin, Chris, uh, they're my business partners. So the three of us were at Ernst and Young. Uh, we were CPAs and accountants uh, doing audit work, and it was horrible. We decided to actually leave and do a startup. Uh, that was right around, uh, well, when the the big recession hit. So in 2008, we left our, yeah, we left Ernst Young at the end of the year, and then 2009, like everything hit the hit the fan, and uh, the funding that we had for the web startup got pulled. Like the investors were. You know, we had, it was just before we were about to get the checks. We'd already started like the hiring process and, and uh, yeah, they, they backed out, said it was too risky. And we were kind of just left in January, 2009, twiddling our thumbs, trying to figure out what to do. And we had a little bit of a, a, a runway kind of saved up. You know, we had a little war chest. Each of us could, could go for a year or two and be okay. Um, so yeah, we were kind of just sitting around and one day we went to a, a wedding. This photographer was shooting it and I asked, how many are you getting paid to do that? And he goes, oh, I'm getting paid like 3000 bucks. I'm like, that's amazing. Only for 3000 bucks for like only eight hours of work. That's incredible. Like, like all the typical stuff you would think. Yeah. Famous last words. Uh, and I went back and told Justin and Chris, like, maybe this is something we should do uh, on the weekend so that we can kind of fund and figure out what we want to do Monday through Friday. Um, they sent me to WPPI and to, to research it. And then, yeah, after I came back, I kind of thought, it was interesting. I, I was when I was there, I, I knew nothing about photography. I didn't even own a camera. I, I the last class I'd taken was in junior high, and my art teacher, like every one of them, told me I sucked, which I did. Um, but yeah, when I was at WBI, I couldn't tell the difference between a good photo versus a bad photo. So I, I would be sitting in the audience, and I would look at the people next to me, and and I'd look at their photographs, and they look incredible, and then. The people would get on stage and I'd see their photographs on stage and it would, they were incredible. So I tried to kind of, again, being a framers person, I'm like, what is it that makes these people successful? And what is it that makes these people in, in the audience listening and trying to learn from the people that are successful? And for the life of me, I, I'm sure there were differences in the photographs, but I couldn't tell. Um, so I kind of scratched that off on my list. Well, it's not the photographs. And what I landed with was it was business. The people that were on stage generally understood business and sales and marketing and client service and all those you know aspects of running a studio. 
the people in the audience knew artwork and photography. So that's kind of my pitch. When I got back, I told Justin and Chris, I go, we know business. We've, we're, we're CPAs We're we've been in audit. I'm pretty sure we could figure out the photography side and they were cool enough to kind of go along with it. And then it stuck. Dude. <laughs> I mean, okay. Anybody that's listening that isn't just mind blown by that, because that that's the most, are you even aware of do you, do you know, surely, you know how unique of a storyline that is. I feel like a lot of people leave their jobs though to do photography though. Yes, but um, nobody has the clarity. So here's my point. I, I hosted a uh, and everybody that's in my that's in my Facebook community is gonna like roll their eyes now that I'm I'm picking on all you guys. But I hosted a live last week where we were talking about origin story, how important it is to understand your origin story before like everybody wants to talk about you have to find your why, right? Like that's the trendy thing right now. If you don't have a what, then you don't have a why. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get before the why. Something happened. Something empowered or informed this decision to pick up a camera. And the trendy answer these days, right, is like I, I picked up a camera at eight years old, and I immediately knew what the rest of my fa- my life was going to look like. I hate but, that but, answer, dude. Every time I hear that, I roll my eyes. Thank you. You're you're not wrong because because as an eight year old, even if you thought it was cool. You had no, you had no emotional maturity. You had no sense of what the value or the purpose of this was. There had to have been a moment at which you realized, like, this thing in my hand has value. And what I love is that you backed into it, quite literally backed into it, and said, like, "Well, hey, if I can't tell the difference between a good photo and a bad photo, I wonder if I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking words out of your mouth here, but." I, I wonder if clients can. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I understood it from that aspect back then. It was more mm-hmm. so just uh, the main thing that I was seeing was that the successful people understood business and that I felt like I, I'd learned enough of, in my life at that point to know that if I put my mind to learning anything, I could figure out a way to learn it. So I felt like I could learn how to be creative and I could learn how to take a photograph and that that was a skill, not something that you were born with. And so when I came back, I told Justin and Chris that like, you know, I I do think we can learn this. None of us knew how to take a picture to save our lives. But I said, I think that's the skill and the product aspect that we could figure out the difficult stuff we've already done. Um, But yeah, it wasn't until way later when we started bringing on associates that I actually started to understand like the you know, my hundred percent is not the client's hundred percent. You know, they're, they're my 80% is their hundred percent, you know, yeah. my 70% is their hundred. And, and that was important as a lesson when we were bringing on associates who I felt like couldn't quite replicate what I could to the level that I could. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was down the road for sure. But yeah, one of the, you know, on the, a practical thought on that whole, I've had my camera in my hands since I came out of the womb and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's not really a good thing. I don't know why people think that that's a good thing, first of all, because usually what's considered praise, what's considered like, usually people praise you for how quickly you pick up something. If you have had a camera in your hand since that you were one year old and and you still kind of suck at it. That's actually a bad thing. Like you spent way too long getting not that good at what you're doing. Ben, so, I, I love that you just laid this. Okay. You guys, 
Like if oh, someone dude. came into the jujitsu gym and they were like, I've been practicing jujitsu for 30 years and they can't beat one of our people that has been there for six months. Yeah. That's a problem. Why does it matter? Why? Like you don't, you shouldn't be saying that. You should yeah. not be saying that. It is not a good thing. You know, and I've, I've dug into this so much lately, you know, in, in our mentor programs and, and working with people. I think often there's just a lack of uh, self-awareness. I think you'd probably agree with that, right? But there's, for there's sure. just a, a lack of self-awareness for, for what, that, what the implications of that storyline means, right? So, so in your mind, as an artist, you want to say, I have, I have empathized with art for as long as I can imagine. Like, for as long as I can remember um, things that are artistic in nature have, have drawn me in. Okay. Like, all right. I, I, can, I can get, I suppose, behind that thought track. Um, I still would argue it. I think, I think all children are creative inherently. Uh, that's just a part of being a child. And yeah. then I think that, uh, that often we love to almost blame our school systems or adults or people in authority or something for like ruining that. But I I think the reality is a lot of, a lot of adolescents just step away from creativity and find themselves more uh, just sort of a part of a pack. Yeah. I think we beat it out of them across the board. (laughs) Yeah. Fair fair enough. So then it's like, I almost feel like then the, the beautiful, like the origin story is then when did you come back? Not like Ooh. when did you find it for the first time, but when did you come back? So for you, for you specifically, then, so you you start this photography company, kind of on a whim. I mean, clearly not because I, I know you just no, it was, it was on a whim. Okay, sure. really? Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, how long was it before you were able to look at your own work then and say like this has value, not this has price, right? Like not not we're making money and we're we're delivering what we're promising. But how long was it before you were able to look at your work and say, like, you know what, I'm capturing something of value? I mean, it was probably two or three years. It, it was a fair amount of time of like, I took a lot of really crappy photos. Like when people people are people are generally self-conscious about the the early photos that they take, and then they see mine and they're like, Oh, <laughs> mine are actually pretty good. And I'm like, Yeah, yours are actually really good. Like mine were horrific. Yeah. So it, it took me a, a fair amount of time to like get comfortable that maybe I could have something of value. Hmm. Uh, so then you find it, right? You find, you find that value. Side and- note, it didn't take us that long to start charging, by the way. Uh, the way that I would compensate for my imposter syndrome and the lack of value mm-hmm. was by having three of us there. Because between the three of us, if I take a thousand you know, really shitty photographs, uh, of those, there's probably like 50 to 100 good ones and it's just a numbers game. So I knew that if Justin and Chris were, were also there while we were learning, we could take 5,000 shitty photos and end up with, you know, four or 500 good ones. So it wasn't so much that like, I wasn't too worried about, we were charging within six months. We were, we were, you know, already charging clients and I still felt like, man, I suck. And I'm not delivering that great of like, I don't know if my work has artistic value, but to the clients, what I was giving them had value because we were over delivering and over showing up for, for each event that we were getting, you know what I mean? So I think that's an easy way to compensate for that lack of, I guess, confidence and sort of imposter syndrome until you're a few years into it and you go, okay, now personally, what I do has value. See, 
this is this is why I love like I, I really wanted to have this conversation with you because it's so contrasting to so many different storylines with other friends of mine, mm-hmm. right? That it like their their thought process is um <clears throat> has has just been like refine, 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 refine. But but from the get-go, they most of us and, and myself included didn't didn't have this self-awareness to understand that there is sort of a fake it till you make it process as an artist. And that that's it's okay. Like it's it's so hard for so many of us to admit that because it takes it takes being humble enough to say like, you know, it, it took me a while to arrive. But the fact of the matter is that when you arrived, you arrived pretty big, Pi. Like you did you 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 hit the scene um sooner than later as as a force in this industry. And uh and so Tell us about that, because that I mean, it didn't take long for your company to scale and really scale pretty large. So, so h- how many years was it before you started to see like this thing taking off? Um, it was probably that three to four year mark when it started to to really hit. I mean, the way that the way that you see it, and maybe the way that other people see it, I think it's very different than what it is and what it feels like on the inside. Because on the okay. inside, it's just one little 1% improvement every single day type thing. Um, And we're not really aiming for anything other than just to be better than the prior day. And we're comparing it to kind of where we were the prior day. And so there's, to me, there was never this, we have arrived type moment. I I don't ever feel like there will be a, a we arrived type moment. Um, But yeah, probably three or four years. That's when Justin said to me, like, I feel like we have a product that I could scale. And that's when I was, in the mindset I started, I just barely started creating education at the time. Most of it was like around Lightroom and editing. And it was mainly so that when we hired editors, I didn't have to keep retraining them over and yeah. over. And uh, I told him my concern was, I don't think what we have can be scaled. Like it, it just takes so long to learn and it's difficult. And nobody's going to do what we do and all this kind of stuff. And Justin basically said, let that be my thing then. I'm going to scale Lynn and Jirsa. You focus on, you know, education and, and what you want to do. Uh, and Chris kind of fell in this in-between space where he he was like, I'm just going to market our businesses. I'm going to be the online marketer and SEO expert and and the person that understands how to bring leads in digitally. Yeah. Um, so we all kind of took those focuses and then and then things really started to pick up quickly. But I remember. I don't know when I was first teaching, like most of my YouTube videos would be filled with comments of, you know, you're, you're terrible. I don't know why you're, you're can't believe you're teaching this stuff. Can't believe you're doing this. And I guess, I don't know that I, I think fake it till you make it gets a bad rap. And I don't know that I believe in the concept of fake it till you make it from the standpoint of like, when I think about it, there, there is a side of fake it till you make it that I think is really negative. And that's holding yourself out to be something that you're not and yeah. taking the money. Like, for example, maybe you can get a $10,000 commercial gig and you've never done something like that. Uh, you never even done a commercial gig at all and you don't even have the chops for it, but somehow they landed on your page and you booked it. That to me is not a good thing. Like you're setting yourself up to, to fail. That type of fake it till you make it where you don't have the skill set to charge what you're charging. Um, that's a really bad thing. Yeah. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. Long-term, <clears throat> long-term effects on your business are, are significant. Um, but I guess you could also say that there's an aspect of fake it till you make it where it's like, you're not good enough yet to 
you're not considered like a, maybe one of the best, right? You're not good enough yet to do that, but you're good enough to charge something. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing something of value. So you're kind of dealing with this. In, and, and I think there's a couple of different ways of dealing with imposter syndrome, by the way, like a, I think it's actually a good thing, imposter syndrome. Um, but you're, you're charging maybe a minimal amount while you're developing that confidence and, and honing your, your skill. But that's the thing though, is like, I think photographers downplay their value, uh, even to the basic raw sense of it. Right. Because if you think about it, I could go to home Depot and I could pick up a day worker to come and, and do anything in the house. Right. Yeah. I don't know whether you should do this or not, but the, this is yeah. what you can do. Right. Nobody asks their prior experience. Nobody really, you know, you, you just go and, and it, you're just getting a, a hired hand for the day because the premise is pretty simple. I don't need you to do all that much. Maybe like, I need you to be another physical presence. I need you to be able to, you know, maybe do some sweeping, some, some work, moving this thing to there, to there. And, and you're doing basic stuff and there's value in that basic stuff to the point where, you know, you're, you're going to pay a person 200 bucks for a day of their time. There's value in that, right? Despite whatever skill set they might have. And I think the photographer gets this, that there's value in just showing up with a camera, even if it's an iPhone, even if it's a, a, a crappy camera, whatever you have, there's value in simply having someone there to take pictures. Maybe they're not going to all turn out, but there's still value in someone taking some photos. It's not $10,000, but I mean, I would pay 150 bucks for, if I had just like a, a little kid's birthday party. And I just need someone to come and take basic photos. I'd pay a cousin a hundred bucks, 150 bucks to come and do something like that. There's value in that. And I think that's where we get it wrong that like suddenly you have to be, if you're not charging $10,000, then you're not a professional and you're not successful. And maybe you're not successful yet, but it's a stepping stone and, and a process to get there. So while you could say that that's faking until you make it right. But in my mind, it's just simply charging always charging a little bit less than the value that you're delivering. And eventually you'll be delivering a lot of value and charging a lot of money. Yeah. And that, that kind of, dude, I love that. That kind of incremental growth concept. I think that you could take that, that idea into nearly every aspect of your business. So, so we're talking specifically about pricing clearly, but, but even that idea in, in client experience, right? Just, just giving a little bit more, serving a little bit more than the expectation, showing up a little bit better than the expectation. I, I hate that idea. I've, I've spoken at workshops for years. I hate that idea of like under promise over deliver. I hate that concept. But the only reason I hate that concept is because what I've seen in myself and I've seen in a lot of artists is that when they do that, they do that as, a, uh, as, a, as an excuse for themselves. It's like a scapegoat, mm. right? To say like, well, that way, if I have a bad day, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And and I just don't like that from a character perspective. Like I, that's I a weird pref- way to look at it for sure. Right. If they're I looking like at it from say, that aspect, I like to say like, "Hey, I'm going to promise high, and I'm going to ex- like deliver higher." For sure. Um, for sure. And and then you end up with that, like you said, the, that incremental growth of saying like, you know what, I'm going to show up one percent better than I did yesterday. Um, and and you end up. It, it's it's remarkable that. Th- that percentage. I mean, if if you could really do that, say, I mean, it, this isn't exactly quantifiable, but like, if you could actually do that, right? If you could actually say, I'm going to just show up one percent better than I did yesterday, to have a company that scales three hundred and sixty something percent in a year, that's that's unheard of. That's that's astronomical. 
Um, I mean, yeah. And you can compare that to your rates. You know, when you're first booking, I remember going out and shooting for 50 bucks. I remember doing it for 250 bucks a day. Um, and now my day rate is between 20 and $50,000. And it's literally 1% improvements every day over the span of 10 years. Um, so it makes a, a, a massive difference. And, and the crappy part is that you don't necessarily feel it, you know, when you're in that moment, you, you see it when you kind of look back at a year or two years or five years, but you don't necessarily feel it from day to day, but you're right though. Like it's a very weird thing to set the bar low intentionally and exceed. You should be, I want to deliver. I don't expect that I'm going to get an award-winning photograph at every shoot. You know, like sometimes those things just don't happen, but I do expect that overall what I deliver will be slightly better than the last shoot. And, and, and what a cool way, honestly, what a cool way to just like live your life. I mean, I, I think that this, that you could draw comparisons. I know that you're, you're an athlete, so you could draw comparisons across, well, you come on, you are, um, across all kinds of things in, in this concept. Right. So like, so I, I, I'm a runner. I think we've talked about that before and, mm-hmm. and most of running is just volume. Right, it, mm-hmm. it, it's seven. So between seventy and eighty percent of being a runner is just getting out and putting your feet on the pavement. For sure, it's not about the same speed. thing in jujitsu. Yeah, it's Matt not about time. the speed. It's not about. It doesn't matter. It it actually yeah. doesn't matter how many miles you go or how many hours you go. It's just repetition of of that neurological base of just doing it. Right, but it, it's remarkable how over the course of six weeks or eight weeks of doing that or a year of doing that. And then you'll go back and you'll rerun a course that you did last year. And you have no idea how you got so much faster. Yeah. Have you, given that you're a runner, have you learned Maffetone training method? No. Tell me all about it. Um, so basically, Maffetone is this uh, elite trainer of, of world-class runners. And he basically developed this approach called the Maffetone method where you're really only supposed to be training. See, most people go out and run. They start running and they run way beyond their, their capability. Uh, and so, yeah, this is run slow to run fast. Yes. This is essentially run slow. Yeah. I've got another trainer that I do it with the same concept. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. And people that, but the idea though, when you run slow, you're running a lot slower than you think you are. So Maffetone method is actually keeping your, um, keeping your heart rate below 140, which is essentially the aerobic threshold, right? You keep it below 140. So you're, you're basically in that fat burning zone and you stay there for like 70 to 80% of your training. And for most people that are starting out running, this is going to feel like you're barely moving faster than a walk. Um, but that's what you do. And, and with time you avoid injury, you get to keep training and you keep going. And then once, twice a week, you go for a max output type run where you bring the heart rate up to like 180. But the whole purpose in this is because everybody, when they train running, they, they bring their heart rate up to 160, 170, right off the bat, they get exhausted. They burn out, they stick to it for three months and they have injuries and they have the body isn't conditioned properly to run. They haven't learned proper technique. They haven't done all these different things. And on top of that, they haven't built their aerobic base for running. So if a runner does this, and so when my, my fiance's, uh, she got into running over COVID and I go, you need to follow Maffetone method. Mm-hmm. She ran for a year now. I mean, we're, we're both like casual athletes, right? We yeah. have fun with it. It's really about fitness and our own kind of journey. But now when I run with her, she can maintain her aerobic base at 140. And to keep up, I have to be at 170 to 180. I have to be at max output just to keep up with her pace. And it was one year worth of just going slow. 
And it's kind of the same approach that we've always taken with like our education, like inside of uh, SR Lounge Premium, the education is always ground up A to Z. Let's slow down and understand the why of things. I could tell you five quick tips on how to do something and, and we do those videos too, and that's fine. But I'd rather you understand why the light is placed in a certain place. Why is it that these compositions are, are unique and, and they're pleasing to the eye? What about specifically creating a leading line or how is this editing technique? If you learn the why behind it, it's more than just this skill. And so we, you might go a little bit slower in terms of like the educational process, but in terms of the speed of growth, you're, you're 10xing it. Um, it's, it's dramatically different. Uh, and, and it's actually sustainable too. Yeah, you're, you're actually literally rewiring the brain at that point to understand the art that you're creating. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, it's such a, an unpopular perspective to tell artists, especially like the late millennial, early Gen Z artist generation, that instinctual art isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. But it isn't, you guys. Like, so many of us have created our uh, our entire careers off of off of Instagram or off of TikTok or off of whatever it is, right? And it feels sustainable, but it isn't. And being instinctual or being just reactive as an artist, um, all that all that really does is set you up to that very first time that it doesn't work. Yeah, it's also a terrifying feeling. I mean, do you remember Miles when you first started? And you couldn't explain why a photograph was good or bad, or whether you're going to get a good, you know, shot today. That was a very stressful, anxious feeling of like going to a shoot and not knowing. And that was the first thing that like I wanted to resolve that problem right from the beginning. It was I can't keep going on to shoots feeling stressed and worried that I'm not going to be able to create a good photograph. But it's a very real feeling. And when you, when you operate instinctually, like you're saying, when you just wait for inspiration to hit, maybe when it hits, you create lightning in a bottle, but then you have the other million times where it doesn't hit and you can't produce something that's sustainable. And so that's kind of our whole approach was like, let's get rid of that anxiety, that stress, that it, it makes the, the, the art actually not fun. Um, so I don't necessarily understand the instinctual artist either. Yeah. I, I, I can remember, did you ever shoot film? Have you ever, did you ever spend any time in a dark room? Yeah. Like just, just playing with in it in high school, basically. <laughs> okay. So when I, when I really first started professionally, we were still sort of on that threshold of like film to digital. I was working for a, a, a studio that was still shooting primarily like four by five film. And, and I remember this feeling that it's, it's hard to get anybody to admit to now. Cause I, I'll, I'll do interviews, especially on this podcast with people that'll say like, oh, I just, I miss the magic of shooting film. Right. And you look in the pan and the photo just appears on the paper and there's this magic. And I, and I do remember that moment. I really do. And there, there is magic in it, mm-hmm. but for every one of those moments of magic, I remember the 10 or 15 minutes of anxiety of hoping to God that I didn't expose the film or that my light meter was correct or that, you know, name it, right. That everything that, that had gone into creating that one frame that was out of my, completely out of my control that I had, that I had followed all the steps correctly. And, 
And and so here we are in this in this world now, especially with like mirrorless systems, right? Where even because of the EVF, you don't even have to think about like you know light meters don't even exist anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. we we shoot what we see and. Uh, with a lot of the new systems, the autofocus is so fast, it doesn't even, you just react and just press the button. And yet I still people see people that are kind of clinging to this idea of like, I, I, I want to like leverage my creativity on the unknown. Hmm. And that frustrates me, I guess, as an artist, because what I want to do is, is say, and I, we released this in a, in a Fujifilm video yesterday, that, that I've always loved the challenge of creating from a place of, of, off, of being off balance, of mm-hmm. not knowing exactly what was going to happen, where the light is exactly going to fall. But the only way that that works is if I am so confident in my process or in my gear or in, you know, it, if, if all the things that I can control, I'm in control of. Right. That's the, that's the key factor there. I think, I think that type of spontaneity and creativity is a great thing when you're controlling one variable, you know, like when you've got everything under control and there's one unknown variable that you're playing with, and at any time you can add, remove, you know, do whatever you want with that variable. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. And it's a great tool, but to go out with a number of unknown variables and just hope there's nothing wrong with it if 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 you're just creating for yourself and it doesn't matter. But if you want to do something professionally, it doesn't really work that way. And I almost feel like you can draw parallels to any and everything, right? When I look to uh, jujitsu, I, I love jujitsu for the the sport and the health of it. I'm not a you know I, I've competed, not didn't do very well. Um, I don't know that I like the aspect of, of, um, I mean, I like competition and whatnot, but I have no intention of being a professional jiu-jitsu player at all, nor do I have the skill. But if you were to imagine like someone going and fighting someone else, you're the unknown variable is the other person, everything else you want in your control. You don't want to be trying new techniques. You don't want to be doing something that you've never done before. You want to take things that you've done a thousand times in the gym and bring it there. And the new variable is what that person's going to do. Why would it be any different in any other professional setting? When you talk basketball, when you talk any professional sport, when the variable, you have one variable, the other team, the other player, the competitor, whatever it might be, but they try to control every single other thing. And why would an artist treat it any differently? Like, why would you want to go in with that anxiety and that stress and the the hope that everything's going to work out, even though you haven't practiced or done this thing before? Mm, I think it's I think it's beautifully put. I think you're going to end up having people that listen that are going to try and answer that question in their head by saying things like, "Well, that's where creativity shows up, right?" Or like, "That's where art appears." But I, I think that I think you guys. If you're saying that, like if you're answering pie with that sentence in your head, I want to challenge you to think deeper than just than just Jackson Pollock chaos art, right? I I want you to think about being in control as a photographer and what it what it means to to be asked to create. Because that's the difference, is is not just to walk in and have this canvas in front of you in which you can you can play. But yeah. most of us as photographers, right, we're being, we're being commissioned to create a piece of art that is, that is real, that, it's, that we're being asked to capture something that, that is actually authentically happening. That's the piece that's important, right? What you just said was most of us are being commissioned. If you're creating art for yourself, or maybe, maybe you figured out this weird 
niche of a business where you can just make one photograph a year and you're good. I don't know anybody that's doing that, but maybe you, you get it to work, right? Then fine. Like you can throw out the 10,000 other ones that didn't because you only need one per year. But what we're talking about is most working artists of any form are commissioned artists. And that generally means that you need to have a consistency in output. And with that consistency comes one variable at a time. You're going to control everything, have everything be practiced except for that one variable. And if we're talking about weddings and portraits, to be honest, you've already got plenty of variables. I mean, yeah, you have the people themselves, you have the timelines, you have the environments, the weather, you have so many other things. Why do you want your gear doing what it should or not to be yeah. one of those variables? Yeah. You being the extra variable. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Okay. So so you started uh, tell me the the timeline a little bit about about SLR lounge like what was the idea there because you man your your involvement in in bringing community together i mentioned this earlier but i said you you did that before it was popular right like there there really wasn't a a photo community like that prior to to this early generation i guess there's a, there's a couple of other other versions of of that type of thing but what was your vision there? I think, yeah, we, we kind of popped up around the same time as F-stoppers. Um, purpose and vision is a funny thing, dude, because I, I, I honestly think that sometimes we tend to go back and explain things with this like pair of perfect goggles. Yeah, like, clarity that you know, wasn't there. Yeah. And in reality, I'm, I'm doing what I said at the beginning of this episode that I've always done. I take complex things and I make them simple and I create frameworks around them and I solve my own problems and then I help others to do the same. So SR Lounge was, again, a brainchild of that exact same process. I was getting really annoyed by teaching our editors because I was shooting more, Justin was shooting more, Chris was shooting more. I couldn't do all the editing myself anymore. And I was getting really annoyed teaching them all the same thing over and over again. So I just started making videos and I put them online and I thought, if anybody else wants to check it out, cool. Well, then this YouTube channel a year later has like 50,000 subscribers. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Uh, we all have, we have these, uh, the blog was basically a place to, again, train my staff and say, well, if other people want to read it, cool. It wasn't until, you know, there was a hundred thousand people on the blog a month and there were 50,000 people on YouTube where I, I said to Justin and Chris, I think there's a viable business in this. And then we started to learn the other aspects of that business. How do you create a product and how do you market that product? And so it was really, again, just solving my own needs. And then that just happened to help other people too. And it was the exact same process with you know presets and, and software-based resources. It was the exact same process in, in every single aspect of what we've done as a business. And it was the same process in this new venture of relationships and, and creating that platform as well. The difference over the years is obviously now when I launch something, I know how to do it and I can growth hack it and, and apply everything that I've learned over the past decade where when it launches, it looks like it gains instant success. But what's really happening is you're just seeing 10 years worth of experience being applied to something new. Yeah. I, I mentioned that to you before we, before we started re recording the, um, the relationship program that you, that you've really built that it's interesting to me because I was a part of it and didn't even know that, right? Like that was mm -hmm. the podcast that we recorded was, it ended up being kind of a part of that. And kind of, yeah. Well, yeah. Or <clears throat> early on, I guess, but it was but like not, experimental basically. Um, but I, 
you're right. From the outside in, it just sort of seemed like out of nowhere, you you drop this this fully functioning, fully established, beautiful business into the world that is like, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And so can you tell us about it really quick? Yeah. So in late October, we launched 12 Week Relationships in October, 2021. Uh, and again, it looks like so in two and a half months, we now have a client waiting list. Our our Dr. Glenn is completely at capacity meeting with um, paying clients through a there. It's basically a 12 week uh, relationship and personal coaching program. Um, on social media, we're probably going to pass 50,000 on both TikTok and Instagram. Um, we just exceeded, we're getting around 15,000 downloads a month now, audio only on the podcast. So it's, it's exploding in like a very short time period. But what's happening is that I wrote frameworks on how to create content. I wrote frameworks on how to growth hack content. I wrote framework, like this is all just stuff that I created for myself over the past 10 years. And now I'm just applying it to a new business. Um, most people don't know that I've actually been studying psychology for about 20 years, um, just on my own. Um, again, in response to my own failing marriage. So uh, two weeks into my marriage, I knew there was issues and I started seeing counseling and I started reading books and I started to study it. Uh, and it took me 14, 15 years to realize that this wasn't something that could be fixed. Yeah. Um, and the last therapist that I met with said, I don't have a solution to your problem. And I said, I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked 30 other counselors and professionals. Just tell me, doc, what does a healthy relationship look like? And he said, um, it, it's communication. And I go, that's bullshit. Yeah. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, so you can tell me that, you know, you're not having sex. You're not, you know, talking, you're not, you know, there's no reward in the conversation. There's no nothing. And you're telling me that as long as we can be able to openly communicate that everything's gonna be fine. It's like, well, no, it's also about like compromise. And I go, well, that's garbage too, because, and eventually got exasperated and said, well, it's complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. And I said, what are those parts? I just want you to define them. And he said, I don't know. And he goes, I don't know. I don't have the answers you're looking for. And you've read every book on my shelf. I can't help you. Uh, He said, let me confer with one of my uh, uh, colleagues and I'll get back to you. And he never called. I left there. And and when I left, that was when, uh, that was about five, six years ago. And I left and I thought, you know, I've been studying this for um, close to 14 years, 15 years at that point. Uh, I learned a lot. I'm, I'm not by any means like a, you know, an expert. I'm not a psychologist, but I, I've learned a lot. And uh, I also know frameworks. And what most people didn't know was when I started as a wedding photographer, I actually started documenting data from my clients. Um, not anything personal. I would just write down characteristics and traits that I would notice, small things. Um, does he walk in front of her when we're going to a place? When I'm having them stand there and and kind of and I'm bringing them back to presence, do I struggle to get one of them to actually focus on what we're doing? Is one of them easily distracted and pulling out their phone? When they get frustrated, how do they respond? And I started writing all these different traits, and after uh, a good amount of time, I had four or five hundred of these. Yeah. So when I left the doctor's office, I was driving home, and I kind of thought, I've created frameworks and everything that I've done. There's no reason that I can't at least answer the question, what does a healthy relationship look like? So I put everything that I've kind of st- studied together and I did what I do with making things that are complex, simple. And I drew up a framework and then I started testing it against those case studies. 
And I started pulling in new case studies and clinical trials. And I got to a place four years down the road where I had a book and no place to actually sell the book because I'm not a psychologist and I'm, I'm a yeah. wedding photographer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it eventually led to Dr. Glenn. And then he read the book and called me like two days later. I've read the book three times. This is going to change our entire industry. We have to partner. And I thought he was bullshitting me. So I didn't call him back for a while and <laughs> eventually he kept bugging me and we took things slow and six months into it, we had this framework for taking into actual clinical trials. And he did. Man, I mean, you and I hope, I sincerely hope, I hope that people that, that have listened this far into this podcast start to grasp. I, I, I've told you this before. Like I, I'm, I'm blown away by just the sheer number of things that you juggle and how because you run them through a lens of something like, like this concept of frameworking, you're able to organize them very easily in your head and compartmentalize them and say like, no, this is, this is the step that I'm at in, in these different processes. And so for you, it almost seems as though you're doing the same thing, rinse and repeat, right? Different projects, but like the same general concept. Yeah. But what is remarkable to me that I, I just hope people learn from, from this episode is the fact that you, um, you're so intentional about, about the decisions that you do make. And, uh, and that's a, I mean, do you know, like, do, do, do enough people in your life, like affirm you with that? Cause that's, that's a remarkable character trait to say, not just that you're brilliant or not just that you are, you know, a, a clear intellectual or not just that you're talented, but that you're, you're remarkably intentional with the implementation of the, of the ideas that you have. Well, I, I appreciate the praise. Um, so, so first, thank you, Miles. But <laughs> I guess from my perspective, everything looks different and feels different from the outside, right? Um, you see intention. From my perspective, I see a personal problem. And that's what I'm kind of trying to reiterate is like every one of these things were personal problems that I just needed to resolve. And I yeah. can't, you know, in, in high school, um, most of my teachers thought that I was mentally handicapped. They actually wanted to put me into remedial education and, and I wasn't intelligent in terms of uh, book smarts and I, I wasn't getting good grades. And, uh, and I bought into that and the people around me, my friends, my family, they kind of believe the same thing that I'm, I'm not a smart person. Uh, what it really was that I wouldn't learn until like I was 21 ish, 22. Um, and I just happened to learn it because I was forced to was that, I could learn things as long as I understood them, as long as I could break them down and I could understand them from my perspective, uh, then I could learn. And in fact, I became actually not only good at learning, but I enjoyed it. I, I really liked it. So when you say intention, I, I'm really seeing pain points. I'm seeing problems in my life that I have to resolve and uh, creating solutions to those that I can understand. And I need things dumbed down to be so simple. Otherwise I can't remember it. And it just so happens that other people appreciate that approach too. So the byproduct is really uh, the professional result of it. But that's why when you asked earlier, like, what am I? I'm a frameworks person. I take complex things and I make them simple. And I'm really just answering the questions that matter most to me. When I was first starting in photography, the question was, 
why the hell does one composition look good and another one looks like garbage? I don't understand. And it was frustrating and it was stressful because I could look at somebody instinctually pick up a camera and all of a sudden just take good pictures. And I'm like, I don't get this. Why are mine garbage? So I had to explain every single possible principle and I wrote it down and, and, and documented it. What are the different things? I just, I'd grab 10 different books and this is this, and this is this, and how can I combine principles? And now how can I make this easy to remember? Because I can't remember this if it's just 20 different things. And then it became lighting. You know, one of the, the first early questions that I had was, was how come when I shoot a F2, in some cases, the background looks really nice and I have these like beautiful lights and in other cases i'm shooting f2 and the background looks like complete dog shit and the answer was backlighting i didn't know and then when i went to chris and i go dude if you shoot into a tree when the sun's behind it at like f2 then you get the craziest this is called bokeh you know what chris said he goes how did you not know this already i go what do you mean he goes dude justin and i we already knew this because they had this, they did have more instinctual creativity than I did. And I don't think it's instinctual. I think, like you said, it's your environment as you grow up. Some people grow up in an environment where that's more embraced and it becomes part of their education, but it wasn't for me. And even something so basic uh, that I thought was incredible, Chris was like, dude, how do you not know this? But when I teach people, I teach them from that standpoint. I assume that you know nothing about something. And that's what I think they appreciate because I think most of us are in that boat. Most of us, when we approach something new, most of us are not going to be instinctual. So you'll find me in places like jujitsu asking the stupidest questions in the world. Like my very first classes, my professor's like, okay, I want you to get in mount. And I'm like, why do I want to be on top of the person? And he looks at me like, you're in a fight. I go, yeah, yeah. Okay. So why do I want to be on top? He's like, you're in a fight. Okay. So I want to be on top. Yes. You want to be on like, that doesn't compute until you tell me, okay, you want to be on top because physically your weight is actually going to pin the person down. You're using gravity against you. Your punches are going to land harder. You're in a position where you don't have to fight to get up. You can breathe and I can understand each piece and go, okay. So that would be like a dominant position. Yes. And there's multiple dominant positions. Okay. Tell me what are the other ones and why? Well, from this place, you can do this. And this is how gravity is going to affect you. And this is what you're going to, and I go, okay, now that I understand the why behind it, I get it. So I, you, you say intention and I see myself as just, I'm not really that smart at understanding something or learning it until I know why. And if you explain to me a math equation, you better be able to explain exactly why a plus B equals C. Otherwise I will not be able to learn. Uh-huh. And that's what my teachers saw when I was younger was that I couldn't just memorize something uh, or I could, I just didn't remember it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it. And so I wouldn't do it. And so they would look at me and go, well, all your classmates are doing it and they do it fine. Why can't you? And so they wanted to put me into, you know, uh, remedial education and whatnot. And I think this is a, a, the problem that a lot of us have is that we assume that we're not good at learning or that we're not that smart because we can't remember something. And the reality is that no, you, you have, you're going to have a difficult time remembering things when you don't understand why it's important to remember. And That's the, kind of the way I teach. The, the fascinating thing that I'm, that I'm thinking right now, I'm realizing, is that so many of us right now in the industry, um, whether in the wedding or portrait industry, just in general, 
are learning by mimicking. Um, right? We have we have more access. That's why I, I, you've probably heard me go on a tangent before about how much I hate the term content creation. Right? Like I hate I hate I hate artists calling themselves content creators. I hate that. I hate value. that too. I, it, yeah. it drives me crazy. But with a passion, I hate that. <clears throat> but we are. So many of us are. I, I, I hate to say that, but like the the truth of the matter is, like so many people are just regurgitating content at hundreds and, and thousands of images a week that that are just they're just being turned out and the only purpose to that content is a is a 15 second lifespan online mm-hmm. for it to get covered up and and so a lot of us right now our educational base is just in mimicry it's just like hey this is trending right so there's no difference in understanding how to use a hashtag than there is in how to use a camera it's like yeah. this is this is the idea right and uh, and so this is a basic compositional situation because um, Instagram made this the one by one uh, you know format viable. So center punch, back up, give them plenty of headroom, and post it. It'll do great, right? And and the fact of the matter is, I think what what so much of what you're saying sinks in for me, and I'm realizing is that you know what's sad is that people, a lot of people, just never go deeper. And then they get frustrated. The businesses aren't thriving. They they don't feel fulfilled. They're they're not passionate about what they're doing. They want to be passionate, but they're not passionate about what they're doing. And but they've never put any time or education into understanding what it is that they're actually trying to achieve. Yeah, and there's um, mimicry is a, a a great first step in in learning something. But you're right that people don't generally go beyond that. And in some cases, they don't have to, right? Because they can reach enough success by just doing one thing and mimicking that one thing over and over and over. Uh, But you know, I'll tell you that it leads to a very exact place. It leads to the place where as long as you're in the right situation with the right tools, you can produce that thing. But as soon as I change one of those variables, then you flop. And it's funny to watch this because I've been in now multiple situations where I'm surrounded in a competition with uh, people that are much more insta famous than I am. I don't think they're, <laughs> I don't think they're successful in a business mm-hmm. sense, but they have more followers. Um, you know, people would say that their work is incredible. All this kind of stuff, right? And you put them in a challenge situation where they no longer have their comfort. And they fall apart. They can't take a better photograph than the average person, despite having hundreds of thousands of followers and despite being this accomplished in a particular space, or at least the perception of being that accomplished. And it's funny to watch happen because it, it always surprises me. And I I sit there and go, and I, I go, why, how do you have a million people following you? You're, you're actually not very good at this. But that's where it leads to is, is like you become this, well, as long as I have my model uh, and, you know, she's pretty and she's going to be in a, you know, dancing and with a smoke grenade, as long as I have my formula, yeah. I can create this thing. But as soon as you change it, and that's the exact same thing with school, right? It's the exact same thing with everything. When you go into something and you just try to memorize the formula, when it's on the test, you can pass the test. But when you approach it in real life and something's a little bit different, it doesn't work. Same thing in jujitsu. If you just learn an arm bar just by practicing the moves, sure, in a drill, you can do an arm bar. But as soon as someone's moving and you're not in the perfect spot anymore, you don't understand what to do because now the variable's changed. 
That was the part that I always found stressful in everything that I did. If I couldn't replicate it, then there was a sense of anxiety there. So maybe give us a little bit of a maybe give us a little bit of advice then. Uh, you know, for let's let's build an avatar. Let's let's say you know you've got a you've got a, a photographer that um, is five or six years into maybe three three four five six years into their into their business. But they've really built a business based on, you know, like how quickly can I uh, do just well enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like photography that people will buy, but they just, they feel like they're surviving, but not thriving. Where, where, would would, where would you start? Start with your biggest pain point, whatever that pain point is. Uh, and you'll know, like maybe it's, man, I get all these people on a phone call, but one out of 10 book. You know, and, and unfortunately, you said something earlier about self-awareness, and that is that is a really important thing, right? Um, what was lacking in the crowd that I was looking at was self-awareness, and I think you're right that that's a piece of it. But I also think the other side of it is empathy, um, to be able to actually understand someone else's needs and wants, right? When we're in that situation, and you know, we've just been rejected nine out of ten times, and we get one booking. What do photographers typically do? Nobody wants to buy this anymore, man. There's no, there's no market for this anymore. They drop My the area is dried up. Yeah. Um, you know, what are all the other excuses you might hear in these instances? Well, I mean, I, I think you you hear you just hit on all of them, but they th- they think they're they're overpriced, right? Like that's a big thing. Is or or you know that um, the market sucks in general, right? Like it's yeah. it's oh it's always everybody else's fault. Does that make sense? Exactly. So right. they're, they're instead of internalizing, they're actually externalizing, right? And mm-hmm. they're, they're being not empathetic of, well, is there something that I am doing or what I could be doing? Um, so if you look to these pain points and you can actually internalize them and you can say, okay, what if I were to actually work on this? What would I do to make this different? Then you'll find the pieces in your business that would make the most impact first. So if one of those pain points is, man, I got three out of four, uh, three out of four of my shoots this month, my clients complained or didn't give me a five-star review. The solution isn't to externalize and be like, oh, I just have, you know, clients that don't pay this much. They just don't appreciate good photography and this, you know, or I'm just getting all the bridezillas. I'm getting all this kind of client. No, there's something there. There's a lot of things there that you can look at and say, okay. Let me take a look at the experience. Let me try talking to each of these people and see what it was. Let me call them up on the phone and let me start addressing each of those issues. So if, you, if you're if you stuck, just look at these pain points. What is your biggest pain point? Maybe it's posing. Man, I get so stressed out when I arrive and when the couple's like just, how often do you hear this? This couple was just so awkward, man. They couldn't, they couldn't make anything look right. Mm-hmm. It's not their job, dummy. It's yeah. yours. <laughs> they didn't do it for me. Yeah, they're not professionals. That's why they're hiring you, dummy. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're getting you because you're supposed to be able to make them feel that way. Oh, and frankly, man. no matter how awkward a person is standing in front of you, if you can't make them look good, then there's room to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Well, well said. I mean, absolutely perfect, man. I, I think that there's there's something here that I um that I that I'm hoping people will really grasp in this in this episode. Is the reason I really wanted to chat with you. Because I, I hinted at this before we started recording, but I've I've now done, um, and I, I know you haven't had a chance to listen to all of them, but I've I've done some recordings with some friends, some some people that you know well, like Jason Vincent, mm-hmm. uh, awesome. was on here, 
Um, and we talked a lot about uh, his ideas for diversification, how he's built a strong brand based on just diversifying the value of his brand um, in, into things like writing and, and, you know, working alongside you, I know. But, um, but then I, uh, we, we've talked to Phil Porto about how to tell stories. We've talked to um, Allison Conklin about like why photography matters. It, why, why, does, why does this even have value? Right. And, uh, and then we talked to Petronella um, about uh, the idea of like telling stories for people that can't tell their own stories. Right. Like how important that representation is. But one of the things that I think that we haven't done enough justice on this podcast is talking to people like you that, that can say so pragmatically, like, hey, it's okay that you don't have it all pulled together. Like, it's okay that you're an artist and you're imperfect. It's okay that you're not necessarily the most intellectual person in the room or the most creative person in the room or the most accomplished person in the room. But it's not okay to use those things as an excuse for not being successful in the things that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, Um, 1,000%. I mean, I I live, you know, in the process of developing uh, this relationship framework uh, we landed on this concept of of core values, and each person lives by. Uh, really, there's there's only a list of like twenty core values that that people have, and it, and everything, every synonym falls into basically these these twenty. There's not that many, and most people their lives are driven by one or two, uh, up to maybe three to five, but there's not that many things that drive a person's decisions, and these are values that we don't even know that we necessarily have which is why we often make bad decisions when it comes to relationships, when it comes to business, career, everything. But one of the things that like drives me is progression. Um, so one, my, my, my highest values, progression, um, ownership. So making sure that like I internalize and I own my mistakes. Um, but those are probably like two of the top of, of mine. The next piece would be serving, not just like helping others. Like I don't, I don't go to, I think there's a lot of ways to serve, right. But it's serving in the way that I want creating education, helping Mm -hmm. people like making, doing things that I I find value in. Um, But going back to that thing of ownership, I don't get along with people that don't share at least those top two, uh, Namely, because I, I can't understand them. If you fail at something and you can't own it, that doesn't make sense. Nor do I understand the person that doesn't believe that there's a whole, as far as you've come, there's 99% of the journey left, this, yeah. this progression of, of what's going on. And like, if you can't grasp that, I don't understand you. Because as far as you come as an artist, I guarantee you have more to go. <laughs> and there's comfort in that. You know, people think that that's an anxious place to sit. There's not. It used to be anxious when I thought that I had to know everything. That, that made me feel uncomfortable. That made me feel stressful. Saying that I don't know, acknowledging that like I'm an above average photographer at best. When you look at the professional world, I'm an above average photographer. I'm good with that. That's fine. My clients are happy. We built multiple successful businesses. I would say that I'm at the top tier of maybe like what I do, which is frameworks and education. But having a bit of awareness to be okay with sucking at things is so critically important to becoming better at them. 
when we step into a, a, a judicial gym, and I talk about this stuff a lot because this is stuff that I, I spend most of my time doing, we're failing 90 out of 100 times. And that's what I love about it is that it trains you to be okay with that. It trains you to not only be okay with it, but to like be comfortable in that space because that's the space for growth. And if you find that you're in a place where you're like, man, as soon as you have that feeling where you go, I know pretty much most everything there is to know about this. Like I'm, I'm good with my lighting. I'm good with this. I'm good with my posing. I'm danger. Like that should be your first warning. If you've ever typed that or said that to somebody, that's your first significant warning that no, you're not in a, in a good space. You're not in a space of growth. And frankly, anybody that has said that to me, like pie, I'm good with my lighting, but can you help me with this? I look at their lighting and it's garbage. Yeah. Yeah, You're off balance. You don't realize it. Correct. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Okay. So speaking of now here, um, before we, before we take this thing on for two or three hours, You told me, and, and, and now I'm hesitant. You guys, if you don't understand this, if you don't grasp this, it takes actually, it takes a, a lot of a person um, to put me off balance. But Pi totally does this. And I love, in our conversations, you've done this for me both times we've chatted. I haven't ever noticed. <clears throat> yeah, well, I'm, I'm sweating right now. My palms are nasty. Uh, no, I, I want to hear. So you told me that you listened to my episode on, uh, on social media. Oh yeah, and which was just a couple of episodes ago. So, so you guys, um, if if you haven't, um, back up a couple and 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 hear two episodes prior to this one. But, um, but you said that you really did. You you actually said I think and I have a bone to pick with you. I think you're completely wrong. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so I want to hear. I want to hear about it. Tell me why. Well, first, I, I I agree with the title. Your title was you don't need social media. I do agree. You don't need social media to be successful as a photographer, as a business person, and in whatever you're doing, that's not a necessity. But I do think you're losing a huge, huge marketing tool and an opportunity to reach your audience. And what I think is most of us have a very skewed perception of what social media is. And in your episode, I heard more of the same kind of skewed perspective. Okay. Namely, things like, you know, mm. Um, well, Instagram is really for this and engagement is killed and it really doesn't do what it should do anymore. Or that, you know, you could get on TikTok if that fits your personality and you want to do dancing videos and do trends. Uh, and that's just not what social media is. And I have designed an entire framework around this, which is going to be, so the podcast that you showed up on was an experiment to figure out which one of these frameworks I wanted to launch first. And I decided to go with relationships, but the next one is a viral marketing and growth hacking framework. Social media is not about following. I mean, TikTok, there are trends that you can follow and, and do well with if you want to just become this again, four letter word influencer. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also set a lot of intention in your social media, do nothing of what's trendy, which is exactly what I do, and be hugely successful with it by just simply understanding what you're trying to actually do. And that's what I think is being missed. I think people think that these platforms uh, are beyond their heyday. I have gone from, actually, I'll just show you. I started the uh, Instagram account for 12 Week University uh, a little bit more than two months ago. And it started at zero. And I'm going to see if you can read this for me. This is the insights for the last 30 days. Okay. So can you read the accounts reached number? 
Uh, let's see if the focus. camera will focus. Um, let's see. Looks like 1.4 million. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot. So accounts reached 1.4 million. Accounts engaged 145,000. Total followers 49.6 thousand. The growth month from 30 day growth, the followers was 539 percent. So I started the month at 10,000 and it grew to 50,000. Um, accounts reached almost doubled. Uh, so it was two months ago when it was at zero. I'm not doing anything trendy. I'm not doing like I'm not posting just pretty pictures. I'm doing what social media was intended to do. But the problem is that we don't necessarily understand that. Problem is we don't go back to that idea of empathizing with our our audience. What does our audience actually want? And we think that as photographers, this is the biggest misconception: is that photographers go onto social media and they post for other photographers. Yeah. What the hell's going on? I mean, if you have products, if you have workshops, if you have education, if you have things to sell photographers, then by all means, then you've done it right. You're, you're doing it right. But most of them don't. And they think that they're targeting their clients when in actuality, they're not, not at all. And the simple fix isn't, okay, well, you know, Instagram, it would be good for this if, or, or TikTok would be good for this if the simple fix is actually creating the content that your audience wants. And it just depends on who that audience is. Man. Okay. I love it. And I love that you're willing to challenge me on that. So, so intentionally because, uh, I, I did a, I did another podcast, um, an interview with Ben Hartley, um, a, a few months ago where we talked about social media and, and I told him that, you know, I've built the the majority of of my brand and my relationships have happened via social media, but I utilize social media most effectively actually in the in the direct messages. Mm-hmm. I, I I spend a lot of my life just sending and replying to messages because it it's it's created this um, this place through which uh, we feel safe having conversations with people that we don't know very well. Sure, that's great and, for that. And, and so it's allowed me opportunities to meet people, uh, honestly, like, like you. It's allowed me opportunities to, to kind of get to know people in the industry um, in ways that, that hasn't required me to fly to Vegas to speak at WPPI or hasn't, you know, like, and, and, I, and I've, I've built up some really beautiful relationships like that. And so what I was really saying, and, and you just touched on it, though. It's interesting. So I actually don't think that we disagree. Here's, here's, but here's why. The point of that episode for me was was that we don't need to rely on social media to uh, to like build our value or base our value or set our value as artists. And and what I'm seeing a lot of, I, I know you mentioned earlier that you said that um, you said something really interesting to me that you see there's actually a lot of value in, in imposter syndrome. But what I'm seeing a ton of is photographers, especially in, in our Facebook community that are so beat down by the fact that you know maybe they do post an image and nobody reacts to it or they're proud of something and it gets fried or they post a video on YouTube and they just get trolled or right and and this comparison becomes the thief of joy type of concept and then they stop creating like they yeah, stop sure. they stop evolving because they're reacting to this fear of all the negativity that's going on on social media. So I think what you just said is maybe the answer. And maybe I need to go back and restate this at the end. Because I think what you just... The resolution that you created was 
Social media is valuable as long as you're speaking to the right people in the right ways. Yeah, there's another component of what's happening. I know, are, are you good on time? Because I know you mentioned you had another thing. Yes, yeah, we're good. I've, I've got a few more minutes. So yeah, let's go. Um, I don't want to cut you a, off. There's a, sure. a few things happening. And, and it's not to say I, I disagreed completely with your um, your podcast, but I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you did. No. Uh, there was some important things that you said in there, like um, you shouldn't leverage, you shouldn't base your business off of one platform. I, I utilize each of these platforms to actually feed each other. So if one drops away, I've already built up another platform. But on top of that, all of them lead to a singular place, which is generally going to be my website, my yeah. subscribers, my my newsletters. They're all going to lead to a place that I control. Something so you, I'm using them all yeah. to go to that place. Uh, but the other aspect of it too is that uh, it's a psychological component. So you have to look at us um, from the standpoint of, of human psychology as, as artists, as creatives. You know, most of us are in this field because we are sensitive. Uh, we're here because we are uh, naturally, if you were to take a cross section of, of artists, you're going to find that the majority are empaths. The majority are, you know, hyper self-aware. They're also very self-critical. Uh, they tend to be perfectionist. They're all of these different psychological things, right? So what did photographers do in the early days of social media? Well, they used social media, not for what it should have been, which was reaching their audiences or like you networking with people. That's what it should be used for. They used it as validation. So they used it to build up their own sense of self-worth and value in the artwork that they're creating. Uh, and, and it still happens now, right? But then an algorithm change comes in place and what the validation you were getting before, and this is what's so messed up and skewed about this is because instead of treating your bank account as your validation, uh, that's really the ultimate validation, right? Is how many clients are willing to hire you. Pay you. We've, we've somehow been trained to uh, take the dopamine hit off of those likes on social media because it's easy, it's quick, it's fast, and, and, but it's practically useless. Mm-hmm. But we've substituted that for our, our worth and the value in our artwork. So when those changes come, when a platform is no longer this, then the photographer loses their drive. They lose their motivation. They, they, they fall into a slump. They get depressed. Oh, you know, Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, none of these do what they used to do. Everybody is this. And, and again, they're externalizing this problem, but the problem is actually an internal one. It was that you've built your, your value set. You've built your beliefs off of shifting sand. And when the sand shifts, then you fall into it and you sink. Uh, and, and the solution there is, is not the platform. The solution is actually looking into the mirror and resolving underlying trauma that is causing you to feel like your worth and your value is in the validation of a photograph because it's not, it has nothing to do with that. And until that's resolved, it doesn't matter whether it's social media or whether it's praise from your friends or whether it's you know awards or accolades. Until that trauma is resolved, you're going to continuously pursue whatever the new way is to get validation. Now you're going to find a new outlet to to beg for that attention. Correct. Huh. Okay, dude. This is this is a this is a whole other episode that we <laughs> we have to we have to schedule. Um, I can do these all day long, dude. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, I like I, I I want this for the people that that listen to this podcast because I want this for me. I mean, I told you that before before we started. One of the greatest things that has come from this podcast for me has been um, has been taking the time setting setting aside the time 
to stop um, teaching or training or posting or editing or whatever it is, right? All, all of the, the verbs that are constantly swimming around in my head that are things that have to be done right now. And, uh, and giving me the opportunity to just sit back and have a conversation with somebody that I really respect. And I dig it too, man. I appreciate you having me. Oh man. I'm just like, I'm just grateful for your time. And, and, uh, and guys, if you've made it this far and, and you still don't know, you, you really should go back and look like, of course, you know, via all, all of, of Pi's uh, wedding photography and SLR lounge and, and uh, the 12-week use stuff and all of, but just Google, just Google the guy's name. Because <laughs> Pi, there's something that is is remarkable about, about you in the sense that you have lived, you've lived like four lives already. Um, and it's, it's a cool thing to watch. It really is. And, uh, and I'm really grateful. I don't know. I'm really grateful to kind of be in that circle. So, all right. Well, so, you know, as we, as we wrap it up, tell us what, what comes next. Like what's you, you, you've done a hundred things. So what's, what's next? What's the next framework? So the interesting, the podcast that you were on, uh, 12 week university, Mm -hmm. uh, when you came on, I think we called it think stupid, simple actually. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, it was because I didn't really know what I wanted to talk about first. Yeah. I knew that there was a lot of important life lessons. I had a I had a major motivator, my children. Um, I felt like the university system, uh, from high school to university, I felt like that system had failed me uh, in so many ways. And I got to you know adulthood, and I knew a little bit of math, and I knew a little bit of you know all these different subjects, and 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 what I needed, I didn't have. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know how to create healthy relationships. I didn't know how to actually uh, design out a successful work day or how to be consistent or how to be. Those are things that I had to pick up and learn along the way. I didn't know how to you know, figure out what I want to do as a career or do sales or marketing or all these incredibly important life skills that just I was unprepared for. And I didn't know which one of those things that I wanted to talk about. I developed kind of frameworks around all of these different things from creativity down to you know, business and sales and marketing. So I told Chris, I just said, let me run with the podcast for a bit. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about yet. We're just going to give it a temporary name. It's my playground. Uh, he was cool enough. And Justin was cool enough to like give me the money and allow me to just kind of roll with it for half a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me about 50 episodes to go, okay, this is what I want to do for the next 10 years. And what it is, is uh, I spent the last 10 years kind of mostly helping photographers and creatives and them to build businesses and learn photography. The next 10 years, I want to prep a library of education for my kids to teach them when they're 18, 19 years old. I want to give them every tool they need for successful relationships, for how to create the business of their dreams, or just to choose the right profession, um, how to successfully be able to sell and market, even if it's not a product, at least being able to communicate and present how to create good education, how to grow something, how to build a community. I wanted to build that and think stupid, simple became 12 week university and 12 week university is going to be the platform where all of those different subjects are. And the first one I thought was relationships. I was like, this is the first one that I really want to get done. And I had Dr. Glenn right there on the sideline going, we need to do this. So uh, that was the first project. Hmm. Man, 
I uh, I just I live in awe, man, and I, and I don't say that lightly. I, I really don't. I mean, this isn't it's not an opportunity for me to try and flatter you. I'm I'm serious. I um I think anybody that's listening that doesn't feel motivated to go back at this point and rethink the the number of of opportunities or ideas that they've had that they've that they've just sort of put put in the back burner, right? said like, hey, I, I, I've got to focus on this right now. I've got to build this right now. And um, every time I hear you chat, what, I'm, what I realize is there's this a beautiful connectivity that, that you've created that has said like, okay, yes, I can be a wedding photographer and I can be a dad. Mm-hmm. But those two things may be very different, but there's so much connectivity. Oh, for sure. And, and I can be a business owner and an educator and a podcaster, but I can also be a friend. And those things all have to connect. And they're all related. There's something beautiful about saying like, hey, if I understand the reasons why compositional rules work for photos, maybe there's also compositional rules for friendships. And dude- Exactly what it is. I, I mean, that's so powerful. Like that's such a remarkably- refreshing way, I think, for people to be able to look at life and say, you know, most of us feel very, uh, I think, very spread out, almost diluted, right? We're just constantly trying to keep up with with the pressures of life. But living like this allows you to sort of say like, no, 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 whether I'm, whether I'm in a, you know, in, in jujitsu or I'm on vacation with my kids uh, or I'm, you know, camped out. I, I know I wrote you at one point, right? And you were like headed to a hotel to go 48 hour, uh, writing, like you were just going to put your head down and write for 48 hours or something. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever those things are, you, you, you find that connectivity and, and that balance. So that's a really, that's a really special way to live. Well, I mean, I appreciate my relationship with you, Miles. And if I were to take it back a step, um, you know, there's a, there's a reason why I, why I appreciate that relationship and you are a great photographer, but it has nothing to do with your photographs. There are plenty of great photographers out there. Uh, when we first chatted, I noticed that one of your core values and one of the things that drives you is that sense of personal progression. And I could guarantee that it's why you started this podcast. And you talk about the fact that you really enjoy hopping on. You get energy from these conversations. And you even said early before we were recording, you're like, I don't know that it needs to have a place to go. It's just it's just I, I I like kind of leaving it open and to to wherever it goes and and this is your core value openly showing itself right this this all you really need for this podcast to do is to allow you to grow which means that you're not going to be driven by metrics you're not going to be driven by anything else you're going to be driven by this underlying value of why you're doing it in the first place and so it becomes sustainable because. You're not waiting for it to become successful. You're, it, to you, it already is. It already fulfills this personal core value. And what you said right now, and that's what essentially 12-week university is, is it's 12-week programs that help link every aspect that's important in life that our current educational system does not provide. This link is there because I can then go and probably make some inferences, not only on the relationships you create, but on the things that you do. Meaning as soon as you are, I'll tell you this. When wedding photography, that is primarily what you do right now, right? It is. Yes, sir. When wedding photography can no longer provide you with that sense of progression, 
you are going to lose interest in it. It may be happening now. It might be five years from now. But once it no longer provides you it, because that's one of your driving core values. So you'll slowly start to realize that I'm more pulled towards other things. You can still serve your clients. You can still do what you're doing, but you don't feel the same sense of like, well, the energy you'd get from hopping onto a podcast, for example. And if this podcast were to not play into that progression, same thing. And then I can go a step further and say, I'll guarantee if I were to list off the two or three people that you're closest to, that they're also people that are highly driven and motivated to grow. Would that be correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Would it also be fair to say that I could probably list off some of your triggers, some of your pain points, and probably some of the reasons why you cut off relationships? How many friendships do you have from high school or from college with people that have fallen into a place where they're kind of stagnant, where they're just good with who they are and what they are and what they have, and they don't have that drive to be better than they were? And you were close friends with them at one point, but now there's not really a need or a reason to call or to stay in touch. Yeah, that there are none of those people in my life, man. But you were friends with them at one point, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if I were to ask you why, without explaining this to you, we'd probably go back to something like, well, um, I don't know, we kind of both just changed or maybe, you know, yeah, we just don't live that close to each other anymore. It's kind of a distance thing, but it's not any of those things because, well, I could probably point out, do you have long distance friendships with people that you stay in good connection with? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. They're probably people that also value the sense of progression. Yeah, constantly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we think that we come up with these wrong conclusions to things all the time because we're always looking for these heuristics, right? And this is what I recognized many, many years ago is that we're constantly looking to make things simple, but oftentimes we fall back on things that are cliche because they're cliche, not because they're right. And in the case of relationships specifically, you'd hear things like, oh yeah, you know, long distance killed the friendship or, you know, we've just changed or, and I started to realize that none of those things are actually correct, that there are reasons for each of these. There's reasons for why a person loses their passion at work. And it's all the same underlying principles. So what I developed was something called core value focused therapy. And instead of actually therapizing around symptoms and, well, what are you fighting about? And why aren't you happy at work? And we actually begin with understanding a person's core values and the underlying drivers for why they do what they do, the trauma and personal experiences, significant life experiences that created those values. When there's trauma, we help them to resolve those. When there's not, we help them to simply embrace the value that comes to the surface and then to go and redesign their approach to kind of all the things that they're doing. Uh, And that's what Dr. Glenn and I created in this new process. But you're absolutely right that it connects to everything, every single thing that we do Uh, And and that's kind of what I wanted to, I don't know, it's something that I want my kids to have when they're going into adulthood. I I want to help them not to avoid pain because I don't think that that's avoidable. I think that they're going to experience pain. They're going to have their own experiences, but at least if they can learn from mine, uh, that would be great. Man. Oh, so much depth here. This is, man, this is powerful stuff. Um, and And I knew it would be, but it's, it's powerful in the sense that it just, I love the fact that, it, you know, we can wax poetic all day about what it's like to, uh, to keynote at WPPI or to speak on, you know, different light modifiers or whatever, right? But 
the the reality is, I think the truth of the matter is that the best evolution that's going on in our industry right now is the humanizing of the people behind the cameras. For sure. Um, I, that's, that's the best thing that's happening. And whether that's happening on social media uh, or it's happening on a podcast or it's happening you know, at workshops or, or regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, giving people avenues through which they can learn um, about themselves and better themselves and then take that into their work and into their creativity and uh, they can serve kind of more cohesively. Um, that's a that's a really that's a really special thing that you've taken on, and uh, and so man, I'm I'm grateful that you've that you've decided to wear that hat. Um, that's that's cool, and uh, and I'm excited to cheer you on with that, and and sit here and uh, I I will be I promise I I will be uh, in first in line with my hand up with Dr. Glenn saying like here, fix me. Um, no. I, thank you for the time, dude. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. And yeah, we're not trying to fix anyone, but more so just help people be the best selves they, they can possibly be. I mean, I mean, living authentically, it's like what we're all trying to do, you know, like be ourselves and, and be happy with who that is. And yeah. and that's the goal. That's That's the only goal. Oh, man. Okay. That's going to take us into uh, into what I want to talk about next week, actually, because... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this cliffhanger in here and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, but I really do want to talk about this idea of what that, what that looks like, what that means to, uh, to live authentically. And, and if it's as important that we are individuals as we think it is, um, I'd love to... Uh, another time, but I'd love to know your, your thought process on that because the older that I get, the more community-focused that I get, the more involved I become as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, the more I realize that that uh, it's a very Western idea that we are like obsessed with our individualism. Um, you know, that, that we are a unique, special, beautiful flower. But the reality is I think often the most important part about us isn't what makes us unique. It's actually what, what kind of unites us. It's that community. It's the things that bring us together. I think that, that are probably the more important elements. And, and that speaks to those core values, I think. Well, let's do a part two, man. Okay. Okay. That's going to have to happen. All right. Well, hey, guys, if you've made it this long, this has probably been our longest podcast yet. Um, not surprising. I think, uh, I think my podcast, my 12-week you podcast with you, Pi, was, uh, was over two hours long. We so, went pretty long on that one, too. Um, but guys, uh, again, I'm, just, I'm grateful that you guys uh, tuned in. Hey, if you have, um, if you have questions uh, for, for Pi, if you have comments, if you just... I don't care what it is. If you just have something that you want to get off... And, uh, and let us know about. Find me over in the DM on Instagram at Miles with Boyer, or of course, uh, in the show notes, I will link all kinds of ways that you can get on and, uh, and connect and, uh, and engage with all of the things that Pi has going on. Um, and so until next week, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in and for listening. Again, this has been the Photographic Collective Podcast with our, uh, with our friend and, uh, and brilliant guest, uh, Pi Jersa. Pi, thanks so much, dude, for being here with us. Appreciate you having me, dude.